Welcome everyone to the Sunday's class. We're on chapter 19, the illusions, Maya. And we're doing the last two topics today, finishing this chapter. Does anyone have any questions before we begin? Okay. So, recap last few weeks. What's it saying? We as humans, we're caught up in this illusory world. And we have no idea that we're in this illusion. This is the problem. We, have, we don't realize that we're in this illusion. So difficult for us to understand. We're so deep, so involved, created all these attachments, become so dependent on the world. It's difficult for us to get out of it. We don't know anything else. Just go with the flow. Your partner, your children, your work, your bank balance, all these attachments, all part of this illusion that you have created. So while we're caught up in this illusion, we only see the world. We all see the world rather than Brahman. Those who are self-realized see Brahman. They don't see the world like we do. And ignorance of Brahman, ignorance of self, when you receive the knowledge of Brahman, we begin to see Brahman and not the world. You've all been attending these classes. You may still not be able to have that vision, but you have some inkling now, which you didn't have before. Maybe 1%. Can it be possible? Just to even entertain that 1% is a big leap from where you were. Big, big, big difference. So it's the ignorance of Brahman, ignorance of the self that projects this illusion. We don't see the supreme reality. We see the world. So all these great sages who understand the truths of life, who have got out of this illusion, they are giving us this message and helping us so that we can also get out of solution. Just like when the father gives the boy knowledge of the rope, he no longer sees the illusory snake. With the knowledge of self, Brahman, the reality, we also can get out and no longer see the world, but see what it really is, which is Brahman. 
all your attachments, all your worries, anxieties, all disappear. I may have explained this uh, metaphor, Plato's the cave. Has anyone heard that metaphor before? Okay, I'll explain it. It's slightly changed from what it what it uh, is. If you if you uh, Wikipedia it, it'll be slightly different, but the philosophy is the same. So there's this uh, community living in a cave, deep, deep in a cave, in darkness. They're used to this darkness. They don't know any different. They're content living in this cave. No one's ever gone beyond this cave. Generations are born in darkness in this cave. They're born, they die in the cave. One side of the cave is a steep hill, which people cannot climb, no, not, not allowed to climb. They're not allowed beyond. All these stories, if you go there, this will happen, that will happen, stay where you are. So one uh, person, inquirer, like one of you guys, thought, there must be more to life than this. Must there be more to life than this cave? Explore, need to find out. So, when everyone's asleep, decides to walk up this incline, this hill, this steep slope. He doesn't manage it the first time, but he keeps trying. Then one day, he gets over the incline. He sees this narrow pathway and decides to walk along the pathway. He's scared completely dark. He doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know what's ahead of him. He keeps going into the unknown. For days, he's, he walks along in the darkness, feels dejected, scared. He starts to doubt himself. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe the elders were right. I should not have left the cave. So next day, up and now has decided to go back to where he came from. Just as he's about to turn back, he sees a speck in the far corner, tiny little speck. doesn't know what it is. He's curious. What is that? I've never seen anything like that before. Something unusual, never seen, starts to go towards the speck. It actually is light, but he has never seen light. He doesn't know what it is. There's always darkness. As he goes towards the stranger, his perception of the cave starts changing. His eyes are able to see inside the cave for the first time. This strange vision starts getting bigger, bigger, until there's an opening and he comes out of the cave. Sun is shining and it hurts his eyes. He's never seen the sun before for so long. He doesn't know what's going on. He's in pain due to the sunlight. He's scared. He's been living in darkness all his life. Never seen light before. After a few hours of pain, slowly, his eye starts adjusting to the light. 
he notices the air is much cleaner to breathe. He sees trees, grass, rivers, fauna. It's amazing. He's dazzled, happy. He lives for a few days and he thinks, this is amazing. I must go back and get all the others out of the cave. They don't know what they're missing. They're living in darkness. Living outside compared to living in a cave is completely different. It's amazing. So he decides to go back. After he gets back to the cave, he meets all his elders, his friends, his community. He gets everyone together. He explains to them what happened, what it is like outside. What do you think they said? What do you think they said? So, what do you think he said? They said. They said. Sorry. They probably said no. We're not coming because they're scared. Yeah. Anybody else? What else? What did they, you think they said? Yeah, they probably thought it's crazy. Crazy, madman. What's this rubbish he's talking about? Locking up. This guy is talking nonsense. The elders say, hey, be careful what you say to these people. They are fine here. Don't give them your silly ideas. Explaining all this nonsense. The man gets frustrated. No one is listening to him. What can he do? Then one young boy comes up to him and says, look, I don't understand what you're saying, but I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm willing to come with you. So the man takes the young boy with him back out of the cave. The young boy also is dazzled by the sun. He can't believe what he's experiencing. I'm glad I made, I, I had, glad I followed this man. So the first man says to him, look, it was my job to convince everyone to come out, but they're happy in their ignorance. I can't do any more. But you had the curiosity, the faith, and you came out with me. Now it's your job to go back and get another one out. So, life's mission is to get out of this darkness. They're all in. This cave we're all in. These great sages are telling us how. Giving us the direction. It's up to us to make the decision, have faith, if we want to follow them or not. Any questions? Did everyone understand the metaphor? I slightly changed it for our group <laughs> to make it relevant. But this is exactly what, um, this was written in 500 BC or 580, Plato, 580. <clears throat> We're all in this darkness. There's some people say this person's talking nonsense. What are all these people saying? Upanishad, what Upanishad? Nonsense, rubbish. Some people say, you know, it looks interesting. I might read it. I might go to one of these classes and check it out. Same thing. So that's Plato's metaphor the cave.
So religions can take you so far. It explains the unity in the diversity that all humans are the same. Religions do that. Chinese, American, Indian, Japanese, all are humans. They're all one. All animals are the same. Monkey, horse, insects, bacterium, all the same. This is what religions teach us. But right now, we all see diversity. Even in family members, we see them as different from us. He's my brother, but I don't get on with him. I don't want to know him. He's a Christian, I don't like Christians. He's a Muslim, he's a Punjabi, he can't be careful, I don't like them. We see a diversity, everything different. Religion helps us to understand everything is the same. But when it comes to God, there is still this belief that myself and God are different. Religions don't close that gap. Pray to God. God is in heaven. There's a difference between us and God. So, if you want to go further, reach the self, become one with Brahman, understand that God is within us, then you need to understand what these great sages are saying. Because they, they have experienced this state. God is all pervading, not just in a temple. God is all pervading. What does that mean? God is all pervading. God is all pervading. If this world is God, then everything in it is God. There's no difference. You love yourself, you've got to love everyone else. Because there's no difference between you and them. Any questions? So, what's the difference between the world and God? If world is God, why do we see the world? What's the difference? We're going to find out today. What is the difference between the world and what and God? Make now. First paragraph. World is God. The world is not created by God. The world is God, Brahman. The elements that constitute the world are all Brahman. But when the component elements are brought together, the resultant formation seems different. The resultant acquires properties different from those of the components. Here are examples to, to substantiate the truth. Saying the world is God, Brahman. It's not a creation of God. It's merely the same components of Brahman put together. But the resultant formation is different. Just a different name and form, Nama Rupa. They both seem to have opposite natures. Brahman is eternal, infinite, all-pervading. But the world is limited, finite. The difference is merely the configuration, 
resulting in disillusion. So we have to identify that this world is Brahman. Mission is to understand this, overcome this illusion, realize the self, become one with God. So he's saying this world is God. So we have some examples from the world of this Nama Rupa, name and forms for us to understand this concept better. What is this Nama Rupa, name and form? Does everyone understand? Well, we'll understand once we give a couple of examples. Magna. Take the example of four triangles as in figure one. They are right-angled right triangles. Place the four triangles with their vertices meeting at a point. They form a square as in figure two. Study the two figures. Study the two figures. The components are the triangles. They combine to form a square. The square is created as a result of combining the triangles. The triangles have each two acute angles and a right angle. The hypotenuse is longer than the other two sides, whereas the square has all right angles and all sides are equal. The properties of the resulting formation are different from the properties of the original components. The new properties have risen from a new combination, a new formation of the components. The resultant is just a new name, a new form. No creator need be brought into this phenomenon. Has everyone got the book to see that diagram? Yeah, great. So what is showing? Four try. who wants to explain that? Dharmesh can you explain that? What's that example saying? If we take four elements, the triangle, them together we get a square but it's formed a new a new shape from the primary shape but it now it has a new form so is it different is it not god it's still god but we call it triangles it it's not god it's triangles yeah it's still four triangles put into a different shape formation yeah yeah so four triangles, each triangle has a 45 degree angle, two of them, and a 90 degree angle. Put them four together, you get a square, four right angles, 90 degrees. What's the difference? Nama Rupa, name and form. The same thing, but a different name, a different shape, different form. That's all it is. So everything in the world seems different, but it's all the same. All is God. Nama Rupa, name and form. That's all. Does everyone understand that um, example? Okay, let's go to another example. In another example, two atoms of hydrogen combine with an atom of oxygen to form a molecule of water. Hydrogen is a combustible gas. 
Oxygen, a gas supporting combustion. Their combination produces water, which extinguishes combustion. A combustible gas combines with a combustion supporting gas to form a combustion extinguishing liquid. This is incredible, but true. The resulting compound owes its status to a new name, new form, new configuration. Anybody else want to explain that example? Oxygen and hydrogen, H2O. Megna, you're a scientist. Um, so, <laughs> um, so both of those things are, they would burn quite easily um, separately, but when you combine them, they create something that puts out fire, essentially. So it does the very opposite, but they're made of the same two things. How is that possible? You don't even think about it, but how is that possible? Hydrogen inflames fire. Oxygen makes the fire worse, but put them together, it creates water which extinguishes fire. How is that possible? <laughs> we never think about it. H2O is water. Separate the two, creates fire. Put them together, takes the fire out. How is that possible? Same two elements. What a difference. Nama Rupa, name and form, change of configuration, that's all it is. It's still hydrogen and it's still oxygen. See, we don't, we take it for granted. But if you think about it, it's extraordinary. How can these two things, two elements that is the cause of the fire put together, puts fire out? Next example. And now we study and think about it, we think, yes, I never thought of that. That is pretty amazing. Another fascinating example is that of the element carbon. Charcoal is carbon. Diamond is carbon. Charcoal is black, dull, whereas diamond is brilliant. Charcoal is soft and it marks on paper, while diamond is hard and it can cut through metal. Charcoal is cheap, diamond precious. Notwithstanding all these differences, both are made of carbon. The differences are in the structure of the carbon atoms in them. They differ only in the combination of the same component element. The different combinations create the wide disparity in the properties of the resultant form and name, nothing else. Yeah. Uh, no, I was just saying, uh, sorry, we couldn't hear you at the time. Can you hear me now? Yeah, clearly. Okay. So, anybody want to explain this example? Carbon. Carbon, what's coal made out of? 
carbon atoms. What is diamond made of? Carbon atoms. Charcoal is black, dull. Diamond is brilliant. Diamond is hard, cut through metal. Charcoal is cheap. Diamond is expensive, precious. Both made of carbon. Differ in the combination of the atoms, but both are carbon. Such a wide disparity. Carbon equals coal and diamond. Namarupa, name and form. That's the only difference. How is that possible? One is so cheap. If you see it on the floor, you kick it out of the way. If it's a diamond, you pick it up. Hey, found a diamond. Both are the same, carbon. How is that possible? Name and rupa, name and form. Magna. Vedanta declares, therefore, the difference between Brahman and the world is the difference between the triangles and square, between hydrogen, oxygen, and water, between carbon and charcoal diamond. The same divinity that is Brahman is the world. The world is not any different from Brahman, and yet they seem opposed in their nature. Brahman is eternal, all-pervading, infinite, while the world is ephemeral, limited, finite. All the differences lie just in name and form, in combination and configuration, resulting in a mere illusion. You must get off the illusion, realize your true self. Then there is divinity alone. The supreme reality reveals itself. You will not get this kind of explanation of what God is in this such detail. From the known to the unknown, you all know all these examples. They're in the world now. You won't get that comparison anywhere else. So you understand. We see four triangles instead of a square. Coal where there is a diamond. The world where there's Brahman. The world is Brahman, but we see the, the world is Brahman, but we don't see Brahman, we see the world. Difference is Nama Rupa. Differences between hydrogen and oxygen atoms and water. Between carbon, diamond and coal, charcoal. That's the difference. It gives you some idea. What is this Brahman? What's the difference in the world and Brahman? Something to think about. And you do have to think about it. Only then you'll get it. This glimpse, you'll get some glimpse of this Brahman, this God. We're all caught up in this illusion. Any questions? Does anyone, everyone understand the metaphor, the question, uh, the examples? Think about them, because the more you think about it, the better the understanding will be.
So we say this world is an illusion. Then this knowledge of Vedanta is also part of this illusion. Why are we listening to this then? In this illusion, we're listening to me talking about this knowledge, all part of the illusion. Why? How is that going to help? How is that going to help us? We're all caught up in this illusion. Any ideas? We're all in this illusion. Why are we talking about this nonsense? See, if, we're, if we take this, this whole world as an illusion and we're in it, then everything in it is an illusion as well, including this knowledge. See, this knowledge has the power to take us out of this illusion. That's the difference. We're going to find out how. Bobby. Why heed an illusion? If the world is mere is a mere illusion, then all that goes with the world is illusory. That being so, then Vedanta and its philosophy also becomes a part of the illusion. How then can it carry any more credibility, any more importance than the rest of the illusion? What respect and regard can Vedanta boast of when it is just an aspect of an illusory projection. Why heed this part of the illusion? Why hang on to Vedanta alone? How can one part of the illusion pull you out of the entire illusion? It is a pertinent question. Vedanta provides a brilliant answer. Any ideas? Why is this knowledge in this illusion, which is part of the illusion, different. Any ideas? It's the knowledge of someone that's experienced. It's, it's reflecting on the philosophy of. It's like the guy who left the cave and came back. So having that faith to follow it. What does Vedanta teach you about? What does Vedanta teach you? General question. Why are you all here listening to this subject? It has to teach you something, otherwise you wouldn't be here. What does it teach you? Ravi? It teaches you to work towards self-realization. Um, okay. Why? You are, why? Sorry, we can't hear you, I mean, uncle. You hear me now? Yeah. Okay. You keep breaking up, so. I have no idea what's going on. Let me just check. Neither do we. <laughs> like the microphone. This illusion is so bad. Can't even hear me talking. <laughs> how does this knowledge help you? Dharmesh, how does this knowledge help you? It makes you question life. Makes you question life. Okay. So by in life, you're questioning what you're doing and you're searching for answers. Instead of just sitting in delusion. Yeah, just Well, from right from the beginning, we've 
you've always, it's always been emphasized that to gain peace and happiness, this is the way to go. So you're here learning this subject for peace and happiness. Fine, that's great. I mean, that's something to draw you in to the subject. I was lying. <laughs> that's the side effect. But you, I couldn't draw you in otherwise. If I said this world's an illusion and I'm going to help you get out of it, you'd be saying, oh, I ain't going to Sunday morning to Sunday. listen to this chap. Nonsense, block him up. Yes, you're right. Peace and happiness you get. See, this power of this uh, knowledge, only this knowledge has this power to allow you to have a glimpse out of the illusion. Give you a window, a speck to look out and think, what is beyond this world? What's my purpose in life? What is my goal? Surely it can't be just to eat and sleep and go to work and enjoy myself, go on holiday once a year. It has to be more to life than this. And if you're an inquirer, then this knowledge helps you to, with the answers. So how does this knowledge help you? Well, we've got the last paragraph. It is true that the knowledge and philosophy imparted by Vedanta is part of the illusory world, but it has one distinction which all other parts of the illusion lack. Its unique character is highlighted in one potent samal, sapna simava, which means like a dream line. The philosophy of Vedanta is compared to the lion. Imagine a dreamer suddenly encounters a lion in the dream. The lion is part of the dream world, a figment of imagination like the rest of the dream. But the lion in the dream has one distinct character which is denied to other parts of the dream. It is its faculty to catapult the dreamer from the dreaming state to the waking state. When the lion pounces on the dreamer, he's startled, terrified. He jumps out of bed. The lion wakes him up as it were. The dream lion is no doubt a part of the dream, but it has the ability to swallow up the entire dream, itself vanishing in the act. Vedanta plays the role of the dream lion in the world. Its just knowledge is admittedly a part of the illusory world, but it has the unique power to dissolve the entire world, dissolving itself in the process that transports the waker to God consciousness, to the ultimate spiritual enlightenment. Drop my That's the kind of role this knowledge plays. Lion in the dream, when a lion pounces on you in the dream, someone chasing you in a dark alley, you suddenly wake up from the dream, sweating. What happens? Lion and the dream vanishes. You're now in the waking world, you're awake. What caused that? Something in the dream catapulted you out of it. 
Similarly, this knowledge, Vedanta, Upanishads, acts as the dream line in the waking world. Its knowledge, even though it's part of the waking world, has the ability to dissolve the whole world and the knowledge with it, carries the waker to the ultimate state of spiritual enlightenment. This is how this subject works. You're no longer in the illusion. You cross the illusion. You only see God after that experience. This is how this knowledge works. Any questions? Does everyone understand how this does this make sense? Lion in the dream wakes you up into the waking state. Similarly, this knowledge wakes you up to the fourth state. You don't look convinced, any of you. <laughs> but that's because, unlike where the lion's chasing you, this knowledge, you have to chase it. <laughs> that's the difference. In the dream, you've got no choice. The dream, lion chases you, you wake up. But in this, it's a conscious effort you have to put in to chase the knowledge, to understand it. Then you wake up. And that's the difference. So what is this reality? What is this fourth state? So the next chapter, the supreme reality, tries to explain what this reality is. What is God? What is the supreme God? The supreme God. What are the qualities of God? So it's abstract. Next few chapters are abstract. That thou art, universal love. All these things we don't know. I am God. We don't know that we're God. How are we supposed to understand it? It's all abstract. We have to study it. Manifestations of Brahman. All these things we will go through. But you'll only understand it if you put the effort into study it. It's now going from the known to the unknown. We're now in the chapters of the unknown. So far we've covered everything that we know, which is part of the world. But now we go to the unknown. Any questions? And when it comes to the unknown, you'll only understand it by putting your own effort in. No matter how I explain it to you. Okay, there's no questions. I'm gonna read the beginning of the next chapter. Yeah, it wasn't part of the schedule, but it's only 11.15, so I'm gonna read that. If that's okay with everyone. The supreme reality. In fact, this book is called the Eternities. That's what it means. The supreme reality. The supreme God. Can everyone hear me? The perceiver and the perceived. The individual and the world. The experiencer and the experienced. Everything. Every being. Everywhere is the ultimate reality, the supreme God known as Brahman.
There exists nothing other than Brahman. The entire phenomenon of the play of plurality, of things and beings, of names and forms, is a mere superimposition upon the one reality, an illusory projection upon Brahman. But the superimposition does not make Brahman any less or more. It remains the same, immaculate, infinite. So even though this world is projected on Brahman, Brahman still remains the same, infinite. There's nothing other than Brahman in this world that exists. Entire phenomenon of the world is a superimposed on Brahman, an illusion. But this does not make Brahman any more or less. It still maintains its original properties. Does everyone understand what that means? Or faint idea of what it means? Megna, make sense? It's okay not to, if you don't get it. It's okay, it, it takes time to think. It's saying even though this world is Brahman, Brahman still remains the same. An invocation in the ancient text of Upanishad pronounces this truth. So this is stated in Upanishads. And it states, Om Purnamada Purnamadam Purna Purnamudchate Purnasya Purnamadaya Om that is infinite. This is infinite. Infinite has come out of infinite. Take away infinite from infinite. What remains is infinite. For the mathematicians. Infinite minus infinite is infinite. See, this is what I'm saying. This is now all terse. This is now all the unknown. We have to use our brain cells to understand. It's like when a river flows into the ocean. The river becomes the ocean. Ganges flowing into the ocean. Thames flowing into the ocean, the Nile. They have merged with the ocean. There is no individuality left. You can't say in the ocean, this water is on the Ganges. This water is on the Thames. It's all part of one. The individuality has lost itself to become part of one. Similarly, there is no perceiver or perceived. No experiencer or experience. There is no individual in the world. Everything, every being is only Brahman, the supreme reality. We are all one. It's all part of the totality. Similarly, at self-realization, there is no individuality. You're part of the totality. Become one with the consciousness. So we're going into the realms of what happens now when we become self-realized. I'm going to stop there because it becomes more terse. 
I'll give you an example, actually. This truth is akin to lighting many candles from a single flame. Numerous flames arise from that one flame, yet the original flame is not any less. It remains the same, unchanged. So it is with Brahman. The universe has emerged from Brahman, yet it remains ever the same. The infinite cosmos is drawn out of the infinite Brahman. What remains is infinite Brahman, as in maths, mathematics. Infinite minus infinite is infinite. So what he's saying is that this whole world may have emerged from Brahman, but the quality of Brahman is still the same. Another example. Numerous garments made of cotton. Cotton is spun into yarn. Yarn woven into cloth. Cloth made into garments. All these have come out of cotton. Nevertheless, cotton is not any less. Cotton remains as cotton, be in its original state or in the variety of garments produced. See, you're wearing a t-shirt made of cotton. You can't say the cotton is any less. It's just different shape, different, same material. Cotton is cotton. These examples and illustrations serve as useful pointers to conceive Brahman, though it is indefinable, inconceivable. They go a long way to explain the inexplicable, so that the human intellect can formulate some idea of its magnitude and magnificence. See, last class I said, our intellect cannot understand Brahman, cannot understand God. And all these examples is to give you some idea what can Brahman be, what can God be. That's why it's difficult to understand. I can just give you a glimpse. I'm going to stop there. We'll go over this chapter again next week. See, as we get more and more terse, uh, I have to make it less and less because it becomes too much to understand, to handle mentally. Sometimes in ashram, one class, we go for one paragraph only when it's so terse, because it's so difficult to understand. Just one paragraph in one and a half hours. And we still don't understand it. <laughs> so any general questions? Most of you have started from the beginning, so you should have some depth of understanding now, some inkling. Just I hope you're now peaceful and happy, by the way. No, but like you were saying before, um, when we have classes and then one sees how to understand what that is. Oh, I can't hear you very well, just now. When we started the classes, initially yeah. and then we were talking about Brahman and the fact that there is a you know become self-realized that bit became like you said you know in two two pieces and happiness it was turmoil complete turmoil as to like to think that the way we've been thinking all this time is not the right not right necessarily but to understand it differently yeah it was really hard and it still is I guess but it's, you know, gradually building up knowledge. That's 
helping us. And some of them do, they don't have a or any That's really helpful. So before you're in ignorance. Yeah. So this knowledge erases that ignorance. And that's the difference. And slowly as your ignorance gets removed and replaced with this knowledge, then you're able to understand more clearly. All these beliefs we have, they're untrue. We've never investigated these beliefs that we all have. We've never thought about it. We just take it on board because someone said so. And this is our ignorance. Remember, there's no difference between you and any other human being. The only difference is he has more knowledge or she has more knowledge than you. That's the only difference. You put in the same effort, you can become even more knowledgeable than that person. So there's no reason. You need to investigate yourself. What am I believing in? Why am I believing in this? What proof is there? Does it make sense to me? You can go for the whole life living in ignorance, like the people in the cave. So explore. Try not, even this knowledge may not be for you. You may find that you need to go to something else to understand it better. There's nothing wrong with that. At least you're on the journey now. You have some basic understanding, foundation to explore and go on your path to develop. Otherwise, you stay in this illusion, in this rigmarole. Gives you the objectivity to life. What is my purpose? And the capacity to understand it. That's the difference. Any other clarifications? Any other questions? Changes your whole value system. Right now, what's your values? Wealth, power, name, fame, bank balance. I want to be the best dentist in the world. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that at all. But keep it in the, the value system. But my purpose is this. But I want to become this in the world. But my purpose is the goal of finding who I am and my, what's, what's life about. But... While I'm doing that, I'm going to become the best dentist in the world. So it gives you the right values. Otherwise, you're going into a whole dark hole that you have no idea where, where, where the exit and, and end of that hole is. This way it gives you an opening. Any other questions? Okay, I think I bored you enough today. Something to think about. Something to think about. A lot of information today, but something to think about. Okay, if there's any questions, please, by Tuesday lunchtime, post it, and we'll have a group discussion on Wednesday. If not, then I'll believe that you understood everything. All right, have a nice... Sunday?